Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Having risen in the morning, on the first day of the week, Jesus appeared first to Mary of Magdala, from whom he had cast out seven devils. She then went to those who had been his companions and who were mourning and in tears and told them, but they did not believe her. When they heard her say, that he was alive, and that she had seen him. After this, he showed himself under another form to two of them as they were on their way into the country. These went back and told the others, who did not believe them either. Lastly, he showed himself to the eleven themselves while they were at table. He reproached them for their incredulity and obstinacy, because they had refused to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go out to the whole world, proclaim the good news to all creation. The Gospel of the Lord. We are obliged to believe that the scriptures written by the Holy Spirit are true. And even though they have been written by the Holy Spirit, or perhaps especially because they've been written by the Holy Spirit, they need someone to interpret them, just as with great literature. Um, Shakespeare or Dante or um, even Caesar, they have written works, but they need to be interpreted. They need to be um, explained. We can easily pick up Shakespeare, read it, and get nothing from it because we have not been trained either to, to read, to interpret, or because the difficulty of the language, or because um, we just don't have that ability, that gift. And so we have scholars who spend years just ex um, examining human works. How much more so must it be for the Holy Scriptures? But the Lord has made things very easy for us, in as much as he's given us an interpreter of the Scriptures, namely the church, which speaks through the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at the Gospels, we find that um, if we look at any particular incident, we find that the four Gospels have what would be called discrepancies, of course, which the, those who um, uh, have ill will dis dismiss it as fraud fraudulent. But in fact, it's simply that the four evangelists and, and the other writers were each looking at that same incident from a different perspective, and because of their intention in writing, they would emphasize one thing over the other. And so we have here St. Mark, who sums up the resurrection appearances of our Lord. And he says, first of all, our Lord appeared to Mary Magdala. And then he reminds us that she had been possessed by seven devils, and that she went and told the apostles who didn't believe her. And then he mentions the, the two disciples, Cleophas and his companion, who went back and said they didn't believe them either. But then when we read St. Luke, 
we're told that the apostle said, yes, it is true, the Lord is risen, he's better Simon. So is there a contradiction? Well, no. It's easily explained. Some believed and some didn't. It's as simple as that. So the, there is no contra- there's no contradiction, and of course there's no falsity on either part. And we sometimes sum up a whole situation by the, by the most important person's opinion, which is what's happening here. Our Lord himself appears to them, we're told, whilst they were at table, and he reproached them for their incredulity and obstinacy because they refused to believe. Well, that itself is good. If the disciples, the apostles, refused to believe, it meant, and they were there, they, were, they had first-hand experience. If they refused to believe, then it meant they were not in they were not foolish, they were not gullible, they were not credulous, but they were seasoned, down-to-earth, practical men who found the whole thing um, impossible. And that gives us encouragement, because finally they did believe to the point where they were willing to shed their life for what they believed. And then the Lord gives the commission to go out into the whole world and to preach the good news to all creation, to all nations, And he didn't just say do this, but he said, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. So the Lord is very specific. Everybody is brought into the one sheepfold, the one church, into the one kingdom of which he is the head. So it's not a matter of balancing one religion against the other and seeing which is best, but he's very specific. Go out and teach and baptize all nations. And this is the great commission of the church, and a very important one, especially today when the, 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 the teachings of the church are being watered down, and the, the one true church is made to appear as just one of a number of religions, of which is an option. It is not. It is the only way. It's the unique way and the sole way to salvation. And the apostles very um, well understood this. In fact, we... From Wednesday, we've been reading from the third and the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And it starts off with St. Peter and St. John, who are now inseparable, going to the temple at the ninth hour to pray, about three o'clock. And we're told that the man who had been lame from birth was, was, was there at the beautiful gate. Our Lord must have seen him on many occasions, but our Lord didn't heal him. Our Lord is very specific in the, in the miracles of healing that he performed. They were all, all of these miracles were miracles, and the intention was to reinforce his teaching. It is his teaching that is important. And more important than his teaching is his own sacrificial um, act on the cross, because it is by this we are saved. And so when the, the man asks for alms, Peter says, silver and gold I have none. What I do have, I give you. And he said, look at us. And then he said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. What's striking is the similarity between this miracle and our Lord's own miracles. Um, the similarity. Our Lord didn't ask for faith or he didn't always ask for faith, and certainly initially he never asked for faith from those whom he healed, such as the paralytic who was lowered through the, through the roof, or Peter's mother-in-law. He didn't ask for faith. Rise, walk, take up your mat, go home. 
Peter doesn't ask for faith either. He says, get up and walk. So there's a similarity. There's a dissimilarity as well, in as much as our Lord did it in his own name, get up and walk, whereas Peter does it in the name of Jesus. So everything focuses on the holy name of Jesus. This is the only means by which we are saved, a name that means Savior. And so the man gets up, and he's, he is able to jump, to dance, to walk, to stand, and he does this all the way into the temple praising God. And everybody is astonished by this. We're told they came running, and Peter gives his second um, sermon, the, at least the one recorded in Scripture, in which, again, he's, he expresses his humility. He says, it's not me. I didn't do it. We didn't do it. It is Jesus who did it. He expresses zeal for souls, for the salvation of souls, where he says to them that it was done by Christ, by Jesus. And he gives the whole history, again, the one who was recommended by God, the one who worked miracles that you handed over, you disowned in the presence of Pilate, Although Pilate wanted to release him, you preferred to have the murderer, um, Barabbas. Incidentally, Barabbas means son of the father. And you had Jesus hand over the true son of the father, or rather the true son of the true father. And he said, you had him killed, the prince of life killed. But he said, but God raised him up. And he says, we are witnesses to this. And then he goes on to again, it's by the name of Jesus that this man has been healed and has been restored to health. As you can see, he brings the, the crowd there as witnesses to this. And then he shows compassion. He says, I know you didn't, that neither you nor your leaders had any idea what you were really doing. This was God's plan. And so you must repent. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And then he goes on to, to warn them that, that um, Moses had said, I will, God will send in due time a prophet greater than myself. Listen to him. And he says, you, he gives them the promise, you are heirs to the prophets and, the, and of the covenant God made. And we're told that many of them believed and they turned from their wicked ways. In fact, we're told that 5,000 um, converted that day. So the church has grown almost exponentially from the 3,000 at Pentecost to the 5,000 here at the beautiful gate. And in this case, we're told it's 5,000 men because apparently the miracle happened in the court, the court of the men. So then... What happens? Well, the news gets around and the temple guards appear. They've been sent by the Sahendrin to arrest them. The, they, they called in. Now, Annas is now the high priest, so there's been a change in, in, um, in um, personnel. And they made them stand out in the middle, the apostles stand out. It, the Sahendrin had to be called. This was the highest court in Israel of 72 judges. And its purpose, the purpose of the Sanhedrin was to try 
the, the, the greatest cases, namely offenses against the law, so blasphemy or idolatry, offenses against God, to, to misuse the holy name of God, or to, to offer insult to God, against the king, against the high priest. And in addition to that, sorcery and witchcraft. And so the, the Sahendrin is concerned because this appears to be some kind of sorcery. At least that's what they, they make out. And they are asked, by what power and by whose name have you done this? Well, this was a good deed. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks to them again. And he says, I'm willing to speak to you about the act of kindness to a cripple and how he was healed, I'm glad to tell you all. And indeed, the whole people of Israel. And he begins again to say what, has hap- what had happened. It was by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the one whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. It is by this name and no other that the man is able to stand here in your presence, perfectly healthy today. This is a stone rejected by the builders, by you, the builders, but has proven to be the keystone. And then we're told that having spoken this with much courage, the rulers and the scribes and the elders are astonished for many reasons. First of all, because of the self-assurance of the Peter and John, of the apostles, because they were uneducated, and they recognized them as associates of our Lord, And what is more, they could do nothing because unlike our Lord, this miracle was not performed on the Sabbath. They could use the Sabbath as an excuse to reject our Lord. He's broken the Sabbath, but here it's not worked on the Sabbath. So the miracle is pure, untainted. There's nothing they can say against it. So the Lord has made it in some way easier for the apostles to to preach the message and he himself. But of course, we go back and ask the question, why did our Lord work these things on the Sabbath? Because he wished to dismantle the Sabbath. Or rather, he was going to have, there was going to be a new creation and there would be a new Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath. And that's why St. Paul can say that one day is as good as another. So then, they, they discuss um, the situation privately and this, they say, what are we going to do? It is obvious to everybody in Jerusalem that a miracle has been worked through them in public. Public miracle. And it's obvious. Everybody knows. And we cannot deny it. We can't even criticize it. There's nothing wrong with it. But, they said, to stop the whole matter spreading any further. And so they come back again to the hardness of heart. They refuse to accept our Lord as the Messiah, as the Son of God, is the one who has been sent for the salvation, not only of Israel, but of the Gentiles, a light to enlighten the Gentiles. To stop the whole thing spreading among the people, let us caution them never to speak to anyone in this name again. And they called them and warned them. And Peter again speaks up with John. Judge for yourselves whether in God's eyes it's right to obey you to listen to you, or to obey and listen to God. So we have seen Peter bring in very clearly this this um, this um, uh, juxtaposition of 
divine law and human law. Basically saying in all things we must obey divine law first rather than human law. And we cannot promise to stop proclaiming what we have seen and heard. And this, in fact, is, is, is the, the kernel of every witness. A witness can only testify to what has been seen and heard. And they are insisting they are witnesses to the resurrection. The resurrection was the greatest of the miracles. It's the one that established our Lord, um, humanly speaking, as the universal Savior. He is the one whom God has placed his seal. And the court just repeats the warning and releases them. They could think of no way to punish them. For what? But the reason is not just that. The reason is because the people were giving glory to God for what had happened. And so fear of man, respect for man, is always going to be a a limiting factor even on our salvation. Therefore, as St. Peter says, we should obey God, fear God, and then we will be forever safe. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm-hmm.